Hey, it's High Upside. I'm your host, Kevin O'Connor, and I'm joined by the Ringer.com staff writer, Jonathan Sharks, as I will be every week leading up to the NBA draft on June 22nd. John, what's up, man? Nothing too much. I guess you're pretty peppy. Yeah, man, I'm feeling good. The NBA draft lottery is always fun. I love the nerves. I love the excitement. I love seeing Mark Tatum just pull pull team team logos out of cards. It's it's exciting. It's very awkward, but it's fun. Yeah, it is. It's it is exciting. It, it was fun. No doubt about that. I guess my first question for you is, how confident were you the Lakers would not lose their pick on a scale of one to ten? Uh, about a one, a one. I had, I had a good feeling that the Lakers were going to end up hanging on to that pick. And so let's start with them. Let's start with what, what do they do in that number two spot? I, I, I know everybody will assume it's Lonzo Ball, but what, what do you think that they should do with the position that they're in with the second pick in the draft? They have an opportunity maybe to flip that pick for a guy like Paul George, or that they could wait a year and try to get George in free agency. Do you, where, what side of the fence do you fall on with what direction that they should go? Mm-hmm. I don't think that's really going to be on the table is my guess. My guess is Indiana wouldn't do that trade anyways. Because Indiana looks at it like we have a franchise player. We're Indiana. Will the, will the balls be happy in Indiana? Like, that's the other thing, too. If you're Indiana, could you really sell LeVar Ball in Indianapolis? And could you sell you don't him? Have to draft like, hey, Lo- you don't have to draft Lonzo. You could draft Jason Tatum I guess that's or true. Jackson or anybody. That's quite a drop-off from Paul George. I wouldn't do I mean... My guess what if you're is also D'Angelo Russell and, and and you know another future pick and and other assets. I mean, it, it, Besides, it just was just read a long pick. time ago. Like the Lakers get the second pick, they'll draft Lonzo Ball. Like it's all set in stone. There's not much, you know. What's his name? Tatum and Adam Silver and Magic. Talk about this weeks ago. So they really, they really can't trade the pick anyways, in my opinion. So, you know, just to run through, you know, what what actually changed picks nine through 14 stay the same. So the, the top eight in the draft is Celtics, Lakers, Sixers, Suns, Kings, Magic, Wolves, Knicks. So that's your top eight right there. I, I think I think the, the interesting factor for me with the Lakers is the fact that they don't they're not in that pole position. So theoretically, the Celtics could top any offer that the Lakers can make anyway. If Indiana, what they're asking for is the best available offer. If if they're not more worried about trading George out west, for example, um, and the Celtics would also have to be confident that they can re-sign Paul George too, because all indications are everything you've read about um, from various sources online is kind of aligns with what I've heard that Paul George probably does want to go to the Lakers once he hits free agency. But the thing is, and this is where I my perspective for the Lakers is that right now that's the case if he were to go to the celtics a winning organization where he can make another run at the eastern conference finals or any other surprise team for that matter maybe maybe suddenly that opportunity to sign george goes away and and that's the guy who can really accelerate the lakers rebuild so so you seem to think that like they should kind of take that risk anyway because they can get their pick and they could still potentially sign their guy because i get the impression that you think indiana should hold on anyway well, like I just got to like first off, would would George really? How much more would they be with Paul George and a bunch of young guys? Like, are they a playoff team with George Ingram and Jordan Clarkson and Timothy Mozgov no. and Will Dang? No, but but they still so how they, much really they could still have one one star in, in in the biggest basketball city maybe on the planet with cap space in the near future. Uh, I, I think I think that they would still be they would make themselves more of a destination while still having some young pieces on the roster. Depending on what they give, uh, I don't think the Lakers should give 
everything on their roster. I don't think that they should give two and Ingram and Russell. That would be, I think, ridiculous to sell the farm like that. But at the same time, you know, if you're if you're the Indiana Pacers and you're looking at the Celtics and the Lakers, two franchises that are trying to make the jump. Celtics are trying to make the leap from, you know, East finals uh, contender to actual finals contender. And Lakers are trying to get back to the level that they have uh, been at for quite a, quite many years over their history. So, and not only that, the Lakers have a young general, uh, front office with Magic Johnson and Rob Palenka. So if I'm the Pacers, I'm, I'm pitting those two teams against each other and trying to create a bidding war as much as as much as I can, okay, I, I, I guess think, I think it's a perfect. Per, the real winners tonight, I think, could be the Pacers and the Bulls and teams like that, because some of these franchises could be desperate with uh, their picks. Not desperate, but more willing to to drive up the price uh, with the teams that ended up winning the, the top three picks. Okay, I think now think about it. We're putting the cart before the horse here. Really, it's your boys. They got all the assets. They they make the first move. So number one, will Boston take Fultz? Would they trade Fultz for Georgia Butler? That's the first question. I don't think they would for Butler. I think they would for George. They would trade Fultz for Paul George. Interesting. I I I I think that they would be far more likely to consider that than Jimmy Butler. I think George is a better player, more efficient, better shooter, um, and younger. And of course, there's a the thing nagging, we just talked about nagging, nagging the injuries the last two years. So, like, just the idea: Would you trade nine years of Markel Fultz for one year of Paul George? To me, too much of a risk of with not. George possibly going to LA. So, to me, I wouldn't do that if I was Boston. Right? Does that make sense? It totally makes sense, and I, I think that's so really, Boston, really the, the big question: pretend. is what what will he do? What 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 do? You, how confident can you feel that he would resign? Okay, let's go back. Let's pretend we're Kevin Connors' childhood dream. You are now GM of the Boston Celtics. What are you doing? Number one, I'm try I'm trying to sign Gordon Hayward into cap space, and then flipping the pick for Paul George. That's what I'm trying to do. Okay, I like it. Very aggressive. I like it. Okay, so let's. Okay, so I still my guess is Indiana is not going to trade George. That's my my thinking. We'll see. I think they'd be dumb if they didn't. I, I think I think I think they're going to lose him, they, and then you get nothing. To me, if I was Indiana, I would trade it. I would trade it too for Markel Fultz. I'm not sure they will though. To me, the, for sure, I would do it if I was the Pacers. Okay, so I got some I got some Boston questions for you, Kevin. So question one: Let's let's assume that they can't make the trade. Trade doesn't come through, and they're they're making the pick. Is it going to be Markel Fultz? I think it will be Markel Fultz, but I, but okay. you don't you don't know for sure though. I think it will be Fultz, but you could always trade down. You could trade down to three. You, you would you really do trade it down? Back did. Yeah, why would you not trade down if you get a guy that you think is on the same level as Fultz or or could or is actually your number one player on your board? If I'm the Celtics, Lakers, or Sixers for that matter, up top, I'm considering trading down. Do you think Boston doesn't have Fultz number one? Is that what you're? I think Fultz. I think Fultz should be number one on everybody's board. I, yeah, I think I Fultz should be that. number one. Okay, so my second question is: Let's say they draft Markel Fultz. Who's doesn't he a better fit with Avery Bradley than Isaiah Thomas? Wouldn't that be a much better backcourt, Fultz and Tom Fultz and Bradley long term? I mean, this is something I've I've kind of touched on before in an article on Isaiah. Like Isaiah is a tough guy you know, to build around, like, like no matter who it is. And I don't yeah. think, I don't think there's any guarantee that he's the guy that you signed to that long five-year max contract because that, there's yeah. issues with him. And we saw that, you know, in game seven, in the game that they won at the beginning of that third quarter, they were eating Isaiah Thomas alive on one end of the floor, attacking him with no matter who he was defending, Otto Porter post-ups, Bradley Bill running him through screens. Everybody was attacking Isaiah. And so even, even like in a dream scenario for the Celtics, if they signed 
Gordon Hayward, trade for Paul George. You still have a liability on that defensive end of the floor, and that could be a problem for them. And, and, you know, to, to your point, maybe that's why, like, you know, drafting Fultz and having a younger roster where you do a, a minor reset, that could be a better path. It, it's really impossible to say. I think you've got to maximize the core, but it, it is definitely something that I think people need to be thinking about. So, like, let's say they draft Fultz in two years. How many of Isaiah Smart and Rowley are still on the roster? If they're thinking Fultz is our guy long term, <laughs> uh, I think I think if they draft Fultz and the offseason goes by and they don't they don't make any big trade with that player the next morning or really the whole time, people are going to be asking. So who's getting traded? Is it Avery Bradley or Marcus Smart? Or do they try to sell high on Isaiah? I, I think that'll be the conversation because you can't keep all those guys. And, you, and not only that, they still have Terry Rozier too, who I yeah, think he's is been pretty a, good in the playoffs. A, a, He's a better prospect than I think he gets credit for. I think in some ways he's a lot closer to Marcus Smart than than people think. He's got better burst as a point guard, better shooter. Uh, he, he does a lot of things well. And I, I think he's low-key on, on the same level as Marcus. With Markel, you want a defensive guy next to him, at least at the start of his career. Otherwise, you could have a Dame uh, situation like Dame and CJ. Because Markel didn't play Perhaps. much in college, whoever that's worth. Perhaps. And, I, you know, that's that's, you know, kind of my big question with Markel Fultz is, you know, was he a, a victim of his circumstances where he was in a losing situation and he wasn't defending hard there? Or is that just kind of who he is? Or was he not defending because it's like, you know what? I'm in college What's for one year. I need to stay healthy. Just, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to bother. Because really, you know, the funny thing is, is like if you go back to game one of the season for Washington when they're 0-0, he didn't, wasn't playing that great, great of defense that game either. So it's not like it was towards the end of the year. He was just bad on that end. He, he's, he, well, yeah, he's he does need guy. to step it up. And maybe, maybe in a winning situation he would if he did go into the Celtics. And, and in order to, uh, to get minutes, he did have to defend. Here's my other question. You're pretty plugged in with Boston. Would there start to be chemistry issues? Like if you're Isaiah and you see that draft faults, you're like, man, I want to get paid next year. It's going to take my shots. If you're Marcus Smart, you want to get paid next year. If you're Avery, you want to get paid next year. Would there be any kind of chemistry issues in Boston or something like that? It's, impo- it's impossible to say. I, I, if I am a player on that team, I think, I think that you do have to think about that. I mean, especially if you're one of the younger guys. I think if you're Isaiah Thomas, you're going to get paid no matter what. Somebody's going to give you the money. But yeah. if you're Marcus Smart or you're Terry Rozier, then you're really thinking about it. Avery Bradley, not as much either. I still think he's going to get paid. People know who he is. He's he's a good shooter, a terrific defender, and he does a lot of things well On, on uh, other than that as well. I, I think Isaiah and Bradley they're going to get paid. It's Marcus and Terry Rozier, those other guys where it's like, Hey, what about me? Like, where's my opportunity to, to really show what I'm truly capable of? Cause you know, even at this stage in their career, in a different situation, if they were like in Sacramento or Orlando, perhaps they would be playing, you know, consistent minutes with consistent, heavy opportunities. And that's one of the advantages of going to a bad team in the earlier in your career. Yeah. I was just going to say like, there is a downside. You look at like the last time this has happened, it was Detroit. No three. And I don't think Darko would have been salvageable regardless, but it is kind of tricky to integrate a top three pick on an elite team. It's not like always smooth sailing, but that's a pretty good problem to have, obviously. It's 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 a really good problem to have if you're the Celtics. Eastern Conference Finals start Wednesday night, and on Tuesday they ended up with the number one pick. Uh, so moving on from them, Charks. So we got some teams, fans who were extremely disappointed after the results. Celtics won, Lakers two, Sixers three, which means some smaller market teams got bumped down the draft order. The Suns are at four, Kings at five, Magic at six. 
Wolves at seven. In that range, who are the, who's the top guy in that four to seven range that, that you think could be the best player in this draft? Well, to me, the question is who fully takes it three? Because I feel like that's where the draft really starts. I think, you, I think you're going to go Markel 1, Lonzo 2, you know, there's a trade. Those guys are from the first two picks. But then Philly at 3, they kind of control the draft right now. And who they get will they'll affect 4 through 6, 4 through 7. So I think that's where we should start. So who would you, Philly, for me, like Philly, you have on one hand, the best fits probably Malik Monk. But I think we both agree he's not the best player there. You know, it, it depends in some ways. I think I think Malik Monk is certainly extremely talented, and and I think he he's an amazing fit for that position. Um, I, I do think that there there are better prospects. I have Monk n- not third on my on my board, um, but at the same time, I do have him sixth, and I would put him in the same tier as the guys I have ahead of him. Um, so I do think that he would be a terrific fit for them. Because to me. Josh Jackson would be the guy most people would slide in there just on a on a value board. But to me, with Josh Jackson and Ben Simmons, it's a very questionable fit with those two together, right? Like I worry about the shooting there. They both want the ball in their hands. The only way space is the floor. To me, you probably can't take Josh there. And then even Tatum, I worry about Tatum and Ben Simmons fitting together. Neither one's great at defense. Tatum's, I think, more of a four than a three. Tatum's needs a ball in his hands too. Like to me, of those this forwards, the, this so is the big problem with Simmons, isn't it? Isn't this the big yeah, problem? We're, 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 we're asking the question: who can fit around him? Like that should not be a question that you know you want to ask around the franchise uh, player. Who can fit I around mean, that's, Ben Simmons? That's, that's that's a good point, but like the ship is sailed now, right? Yeah, like now the, that's done. That, that's what they're dealing with. Yeah, like that. That's already happening. So, to, if like let's say, if you had to choose between Isaac Tatum and Jackson, who would you take at Philly if they didn't take a guard? Next to Simmons, but those three guys. For me, it's I'm still going with best player available. I'm not worried at all about fit, and that's Jason Tatum. I have him second on my board. Okay. I, I, I've said I said before, go to scoring, hardest thing to find, and I think that's what Tatum gives you. And, and so, regardless of fit, that's what I'd be looking for. But this touches back on what I said before, where I would consider trading down. You know, if you're the if Sixers you're and you know you can get Monk, yeah, if you're the Sixers and you know you can get Monk at five or six, then trade down and get more value, get another player with with the. Pick or something like that. That pretty but much that's, never that's happened. That's my right? logic with it. How often has, have, do teams trade down three or four spots in the NBA? Like, nothing's really coming to mind. No, I guess there is Sacramento. Nothing, nothing like the NFL. Nothing like yeah, the NFL, it's really that's different. for sure. I think one thing, too, teams fall in love with guys, and they're like, I want this guy. So whatever about value and the board, because the board can change very <laughs> fluid. I mean, to me, like, if you take Tatum there, He's not getting very many shots, right? With Ben and Embiid there. How many shots is Tatum getting realistically? Like 12? And he, but you want Tatum, you want him to get 15, 16, 17 shots a game. That's how he's going to get his most value. And then you're, who are your guards? Like right now, the guards in, or what? It's like McConnell. Who's just starting two guards in Philadelphia? I should know this, but I don't. Top, top of my head. I, th- I just think the key thing with Philly, John, is that you got to get talent in and I, I would prefer Monk too. And I would prefer a trade down. Like that would be my number one option is trade down, get Malik Monk and something else, whatever it might be, whether it's another future pick or whether it's a, a more established player from another team in that four to seven range and get the guy who's obviously the best fit in addition to another asset. So th- I think Monk is, is option a, but maybe not at the third pick, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think Philly, of all the teams who came in the third pick, Philly's in the weirdest spot because Fultz and Ball have been such great fits with them, and they're in such a weird spot at the number three thing. I think they'll probably 
Right now, I'm going to say they'll take Monk just because it's easier. Because they also are, they have Sarge too. And if you already have Simmons and Sarge, you don't really want a big ball dominant three next to those guys. They're just not going to be very many shots or time with the ball in your hands. You got to have an off ball player. I think they have to draft a guard at this spot. And then it's tough because the next two guards, De'Aaron and Dennis Smith, are also ball dominant players you really can't shoot. They're in a really interesting position, I guess, long story short. Other teams that would love to be in the Sixers' interesting spot at three are in the four to seven spot. Smaller market teams that, you know, fans are probably disappointed tonight. Good opportunity for teams like the Suns, Kings, Magic, and Wolves to move up and get another franchise-changing player or their first franchise-changing player on their roster, and they missed out. However, there's always a possibility that the best player in this draft comes from that range. It isn't always a top three pick. So, John, if if you are trying to sell hope to fans in that four to seven range, who is the guy that you think has the best chance of becoming the best player in this draft from that range? I think the highest upside is probably Josh Jackson. So if he can like, okay, I'm a consistent 37, 38% three-point shooter, which I'm pretty dubious he can be. But if he can be that guy, then he has a chance to be as good as Lonzo or maybe even Markel. I think he makes a ton of sense in Phoenix. I'd be stunned if he falls below four. Because to me, he's exactly the kind of guy you want next to Devin Booker. You want a guy who can get Booker shots, a guy who can guard multiple positions, a guy who can slash and pass the ball to Booker, who can spread the floor for him. To me, that makes a ton of sense. Booker and Jackson long-term in the wings in Phoenix. I'm with you there, Charks. We had Jackson going second when our... Uh, NBA draft guide was revealed yesterday. Um, you can check that out at nbadraft.theringer.com. And ever since the lottery happened, we've moved Jackson down to fourth on our mock draft, going to the Phoenix Suns. And I, th- I just think it's a perfect fit. It's really a position of need for them, and it's it's a skill of need. And I think he the, the good thing for Jackson is that you know we talked about this on last week's podcast that he brings the best of both both worlds in the sense that he can develop potentially into a go to scorer like Tatum can, and he can defend quite well like Isaac can but he also has the passing ability and I think that's what makes him a terrific fit in that situation and many other situations there as well yeah to me it's pretty I think the big question is three and then at five so five is going to be that's the kings and they could do anything right are they even going to get workouts who knows what they're going to do they're asking that's another team that could do anything really I wouldn't be surprised yeah I mean that's definitely an x factor uh, I think for them you know if you're the kings I think in some ways you got to take the guy, even if you're not getting a workout with him. You think you look back a couple years ago when the Sixers passed on Porzingis partially because they didn't get access to all the information that other teams were given. Uh, he was kind of eased towards the Knicks. Maybe for the Sixers, you should have just taken him anyway instead of Julia Okafor. Yeah. And if you're the Kings, I think you need to look at history and say, you know what? Even though we didn't get this workout or we didn't get this medical information from the stuff that we know from our current intel, maybe you just take the guy anyway. Because I, I look at someone like De'Aaron Fox there and imagine him as a fit next to Buddy Heald, and I love it. I love that fit. And not only that, it's a position of need, too. So I, th- I think Fox could potentially become the best point guard in this draft if he develops his jumper. But even if he just becomes an average shooter next to Buddy Heald, that's a pretty good balance for that team. It is. Also, they love Kentucky guys. Like Vivek has they always do. got the Kentucky player, it feels like. <laughs> Coach Cal to Kentucky is never going to go away. I don't think it ever will go away until he's like long retired. Cal ought to be insane to do that. If I was Coach Cal, I'd want $100 million to coach the Kings. (laughs) 
But yeah, yeah I like yeah, the Aaron there I, a lot. May, that makes a lot of sense. Ask for a hundred million and then settle for a little bit less than that. Like ninety five, yeah. Then then it goes so then it goes to Orlando at six. And to me, they they're in an interesting position too. Cause they, I, they got to change something up. For one thing, are they gonna have a GM by then? Who knows who's making the call in Orlando by that point? Yeah, the, the timing of that will be interesting. I think we, we just saw in the NFL that um, some front offices were dumped um, right after the draft because all the preparation were done and they hung on to them until after. So na- now might be poor timing to to uh, make a front office change. I'm curious to see h- what the timing is with that. But at the same time, you could also say that if they wait until after the draft, it's just a couple days before free agency. So I, I, I'll, that's something worth monitoring as well. Yeah, it feels like Sacramento at five, Orlando is six. They could do an, They can go on a lot of different options. I wouldn't be surprised they went for point guard, or they go after Tatum. Kind of look at oh, the best available player. They need a guy who can score, get buckets. Obviously, they could even use a shooter like Larry Markinen. Like he would be open for Aaron Gordon, and Alfred Payton. He might make them. I feel like Markinen is probably the lowest ceiling guy, but he might make them the most. He might improve them the most next season just because his three point shooting ability. Like, I feel like he's a guy who, like, he'd be exposed in a playoff series. But if you're Orlando, just get to the playoffs. It's been so long now. So at number nine, let's let's move to the let's move to the eight and nine range where we have the Knicks and the Mavericks. There, um, who are the guys that you think are really kind of the sleepers towards this middle late lottery range? Okay, so to me, New York and Dallas is going to be a fascinating thing because they both need point guards. And as a Mavs fan, I'm just sending out vibes to Phil. Do not draft Dennis Smith. He's not a triangle point guard. <laughs> you don't want a small point guard who holds. You can't Dennis Smith walking the ball up the floor, passing to the corner and standing and spotting up. That's not his game. He won't fit in New York. He's not a very disciplined player. He doesn't play defense. Not super tall. That's my take. New York should take Frank Nicolina. How do you say his name? I always butcher his name. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm just at the point where I just like calling him Frank. Just being yeah, real. They, they just, just, just go Frank. with Frank. Frank's a great Frank's triangle a good first guard. name. He's a smart player. He's very deliberate. He's under control. He can shoot the ball. He can guard posi- multiple positions. Triangle, you want big, tall points. You can shoot and play defense. Triangle point guard all the way, Phil. Take Frank. <laughs> so what makes Dennis Smith so appealing for the Mavericks then? Like, if you're at that team, in that, even if it's not Dallas, but that team in that range in the middle of the lottery, Dennis Smith was really right behind Fultz at the beginning of this season and, and uh, really the high school circuit. So, so do you view, kind of view him as that high upside player that may have just so happened to slip after just, an, you know, he had the torn ACL at the end of high school and, you know, he didn't have really have the best season at NC State. So do you view him as really that guy who is going to slip when really he shouldn't? Well, to me, Smith is really good in a specific role. If he can be in a spread pick and roll system where he can take shoot the ball 18 times a game and play with you know three or four shooters and a roll man, he's going to be really good right away. Like He's a guy, you put him in a bad system like at NC State, he'll be very effective, but he has everything you want out of a spread pick and roll point guard. And you get him to Dallas, playing with Dirk, if... Rick Carlisle doesn't kill him for not playing any defense and showing up late to practice. If he can avoid a Rick Carlisle manslaughter, he'd be a great fit in Dallas. I really, really hope the Mavs draft him. So I've really gone back and forth with Dennis Smith this entire season. I liked him a lot. You know, entering the year, then towards the beginning, I, I really, really soured because, you know, his, his decision making is not great. You know, his, his shooting is good. 
but it's not great. Doesn't defend at all. He's really, no. really bad bad on that end. And he's small uh, with short arms. So he's the type of guy where he might always be somewhat of a liability, even when he's you know trying, which it, which is a big question in and of itself. So I've, I had a lot of questions about him at this uh, earlier in the year, and I still do. But at the same time, at, to your point, John, Imagine him. So at NC State, for people who didn't watch Dennis Smith play, there was oftentimes two bigs packing the paint, and there was no room for Dennis Smith to drive, who has an incredible first step, incredible burst, terrific athlete. You know, he has all those intangibles that you look for in really top NBA point guards. And he didn't have space to do what he'll be doing in the NBA. So I imagine him in a spread offense with like Nerlens Noel rolling down the lane yeah, and the exactly. floor spaced. And that's exciting. When you imagine that in a system like the Mavericks or another one with a similar four out or five out system. So that's the tough part. And really scouting some of these guys is taking them out of the situation that they're in and imagining them within a new situation, a new environment in the NBA. I mean, it's all about fit, especially when you get this point in the draft. Like a guy like Markel, He'll make it work anywhere, but someone like Dennis in the wrong situation, it'd be terrible. And I think also like with Dennis, my guess is he gets the first, maybe the second round in the playoffs, his lack of size, not a great shooter, doesn't defend very well, not an elite decision maker. I think he'd be exposed. Like my guess is Dennis Smith could not be the best player on a fifth, on a, on a conference finals, NBA finals team. But as a Mavs fan, I have not, don't have very high expectations anymore. We're a very humble franchise post-Dirk. Just won 45 games, get to the playoffs. We're not the Celtics. You know, I'm happy with a 51 team. That's what they can give you, I think. I mean, I don't want to get into the blow it up part. <laughs> uh, let's, <laughs> let's, avoid, let's avoid being happy with just 50 wins. <laughs> For... <laughs> I got to go to these games, Kevin. Are... I can't watch the 21 team. I feel you. I feel you, man. So, so then, you know, towards the back of the lottery, we have the teams that are expected to be there. The Hornets at 11, Pistons at 12, Nuggets at 13, Heat at 14. Charks, I know who you love in this range, and I want you to sell him. Sell him to me. Uh, sell him, because I like him, but I don't love him like you do. Oh, my man, OG, obviously. That's what we're talking about. OG Ananobi, Indiana, uh, Combo uh, I was talking about Zach Collins. I'm talking about Zach Collins. Oh, Zach Collins. I, I mean, Zach Collins. I was going to say Laurie over about. Like, to me, Laurie is take... the most interesting guy in here. I wouldn't, but I think he's more interesting than Zach Collins. I think he has a much higher range of outcomes. Really? So, like, I so trust Zach you're Collins high, a lot more. You're higher in Lowry marketing more than Zach Collins now, because before... No, I think I Zach's was, a was prospect. Little... But here's what I'm saying. Like, Zach's not going to change a team, right? Zach's a 10-year NBA player, good starter on a good team. Laurie on a right team could be really, really good. I think he has a much wider range of outcomes. When you're at this range of the draft, like some of these teams, they kind of have to they have to gamble. They have to get they have to make a big splash. And I think Laurie could be a really interesting player on the right team. He can go anywhere. He can go from like six to like 14 or 15. I think in our mock draft, we have him at 14 right now. Him in Miami would be really would be a fascinating fit him in Miami. So with Lowry, he's somebody you – know, let's talk about him, actually, because he was someone yeah. at the beginning of the year that I was really high on. I, I really liked Lowry Markkinen, um, and I still do. I, I don't dislike him at all by any means. I agree with you know your point that you know he has a, a large range of outcomes. But with that said, I think we really, really saw in the playoffs uh, what can happen with those types of guys – 
do get put on the floor against the the wrong team. We saw what happened to Ryan Anderson against the Spurs. Kelly Olenek had his big game seven for the Celtics, but at the same time, there were other points in the series where he really got exposed on the defensive end because for a big man, you need to be able to defend in today's league. You you need to be able to not only defend the interior, but the perimeter too. Yeah. And you need to be able to space the floor. And that's what Markinen does best is shoot threes. And that's what I love about him is he's got guard skills out there. But I do wonder and I do worry a lot, like, is there too much Kelly Olenek to his game where I would want to spend a top 10 pick on him? That, that's why I moved him down my board to 14. I just feel more comfortable with him there, even even though, you know, you could potentially regret it um, a little bit higher than that. I, I just I just think there's a lot of risk with him in the sense that he doesn't rebound well at all. He doesn't defend well, and he struggles scoring against length on the inside against NBA size defenders. And there's, there's concerns there for me that perhaps you had more towards the beginning of the season than that I, I'm having now. Well, here's my thing. Like, you're right about all that, but we literally just watched your boy Kelly, $15 million man in, Bo- in Brooklyn next year, win a playoff that's, that's, series. That's one game, though. That's one game. I mean, game, like, though. it's a playoff series. Like, what are the odds Zach Collins wins you a playoff series? I feel like Laurie's going to win a playoff series for a team at some point in his career. That's why I don't love Zach Collins. It's, it, yeah, I don't and, love you him. Know, and he's because, a good player. Well, I, you had him five at one point. I, I I moved it back. I have a lot of takes during the season. Okay. Don't hold me accountable to those takes. Okay. Come on. No, no, I'm, I, I'm, I'm just curious. I'm legitimately curious because I, I just, I agree with you that he's going to be a good role player. And it's similar to what we talked about last week with Jonathan Isaac, I think, where Isaac is someone that you can plug in and he'll be good, right? And I think that's kind of what you like a lot about Collins is that he just does a lot of things well. Um, and that he's someone, you know, if you're in that range, uh, it really depends on your, your perspective. If you're a team that you want to plug a guy in who, you know, helps your team on both ends of the floor but might not be that franchise changer, then you do that. But if you're looking for that home run swing and you want to, you know, really try to hit a grand slam with your pick, I'm looking at guys like Justin Patton, a big man from Creighton. He's super raw, but two-way upside his ability to defend and shoot threes and drive he he just the comp we have for him on the draft guide is carl anthony towns light i'm not saying he'll be towns I don't know about and that. i don't think he will be towns yeah but he I don't know about he, that. but but uh, but uh but a, a light version of towns where he does a lot of those skilled things well um for a big man that's someone i'd want to take a risk on talking about john Jonathan Jean, someone like that, a big man from France, super raw, not going to be very good early in his career. He's really like three years away from being three years away. <laughs> more than more than Bruno from the Toronto Raptors. Well, like I like Alan more than those guys, but I think we're getting two in the weeds with mid first round bigs. Like to me with Laurie, to go back to that before he close this up, like I think he's probably at worst Channing Fry. And Channing Fry, like he, he's had some big playoff moments in his career already. So to me, like... Laurie might go to two or three teams in his career, but he's going to go somewhere with an elite player, picking and popping. He's going to kill someone in the playoffs. That's, that's my prediction. I, mean, I don't know. That's really relevant to anything. But I think Laurie's going to have an interesting career. I'll put it that way. Well, you said, you said he has a high range of outcomes. What do you think is his highest range of outcome? Um, his highest range of outcome is like 35-year-old Dirk because he's kind of slow. Like he he's Dirk without any athletic ability, basically. That's his highest range outcomes. That's a really good player, 35 too. Thirty five year old Dirk. It's a good player. It it is it is a good player. I'm telling you, you put thirty five year old Dirk on the right team and he's the winning you a playoff series, if not two. Like he would crush some teams. He shoot he Laurie can stroke it super fast. That's the crazy thing about his release. 
That shot goes up so quick and it goes right in the basket, man. That's three points. Like you put Laurie in Cleveland, he would score like 25 points a game some nights with LeBron. But the thing is, though, is like that that gets back to, you know, my concern with Laurie. Like, let's say you replace Kevin Love with Laurie Markkinen, right? Let's let's just say in a, a theoretical world, that's what happens. The thing that makes Love so effective is that he's an incredible rebounder. So he might not be oh, the yeah, best no man to man defender or anything, but his rebounding is what allows him to play at the level that he does so even even he makes up essentially for his defensive weaknesses with his a positional defense because he's usually in the right spot at the right time and b his just excellent rebounding whereas Markinen, there's major concern about him becoming a good defender or even an average defender and i don't think he'll ever be a good rebounder because of the the historical rate of rebounding translating but i think he's like channing fry with handles like that could that that's a really interesting player to close this up john give me one player in that range that you think might be surprising for people on, on draft night that slips into the lottery? Oh, interesting. Um, I was not perfect for that question. So do you have one? I'll go back to it like in two minutes. Jonathan John, man, that's my guy. That's my guy this year. I, I, I just think, I think he's going to be a really raw player and he's a team. He's right for a team though, that is willing to take a risk. And I think there's a strong chance that he just becomes kind of just another guy. I think that's a possibility that largely hinges on a, his ability to put weight on his frame and B the development of his, of his jump shot. Cause right now he's kind of just a theoretical player in the sense that you can see the potential with him shooting threes, but he's only shooting around 23% from three. But he does have good form, and and he does really splash threes from NBA range. And on the other side of the ball, because defense matters, at the NBA Combine, he look, did look lost out there, just like he has you know, his entire season, season playing in France. Um, but despite looking lost, he has a 7-6 wingspan. And he was still super effective at altering shots at the rim. Plays with a ton of energy, and and he just I, he strikes me as somebody who, when you're, when you're projecting forward, four years, five years down the road, I just see him potentially when we do redrafts, like as a top a top ten guy. So I think if I'm in that eleven to fourteen range at the back of the lottery, I'm I'm really taking a hard look at John John. Okay, Seymour Gobert or Javale. I guess that's the question. Uh, right? I I think I think Obear has that wider frame. Uh, so I think I think I think he is a little bit more Javale in that sense. But but he at the same time I think Jean has higher defensive potential than than McGee. Yeah, if we're throwing out some names, I'll throw out a name. The other Justin Jackson from Maryland. I'm gonna do a story on him probably either late this week or early next week. But to me, this guy has got a ton of potential. I have him at 15 on my, on my big board right now. I think he has a lot of James Johnson in his game. Not quite athletic, a little more skilled. Six, not, he's like 6'7", 225, 7'3", wingspan. He can guard 3, 4, 5. He shoots threes really well. Interesting ball handler, interesting passer. And a small, on a small role on a decent team in college. Think I'll show what he could do. But I think Justin ja- the other Justin Jackson has got a ton of upside. And that's my like deep sleeper. Maybe he sign the lottery, probably not, but Jackson's a good one. You have him fifteenth on your board right now. Do you see him moving up your personal board at all? Oh, I have him like as high as re- is reasonable. Because right now I think he's like in the late thirties or early twenties in most places. But to me, I could I could make a case from going ten even. But I, I would love him in Denver next to Jokic. To me, that'd be a great spot for him. We'll see. Well, he might go back to school. I mean, who knows? 
He has. He's not. He's right now. He's he's on the uh, borderline. That's it for this week's high upside. Thank you, John, for joining the show. Yeah, have a good one, man. This was fun. And thank you for listening to the latest episode of High Upside. Uh, please give us a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcast. You can follow me on social media at Kevin O'Connor NBA, and you can follow Jonathan at Jonathan Charks. And be sure to check out our NBA draft guide on nbadraft.theringer.com. We've got 60 profiles up there. We updated our entire mock draft tonight. You can check out my big board, Danny Chow's big board, and Jonathan's big board as well. So be sure to check that out. 